welcome to Crime on Prime Time. My name is Kenzie Huseman. I'm your host today, and this week I'm here with my three best friends. What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod. Emily. And Taylor. How have y'all been? Uh, I've been went off. I've been bored out of my mind this week. There's no work. I literally been sitting at work for three hours, and I go home. I mean, how fun. I know. I miss those days. Like, this is my first summer or, like, first full year of, like, working since I've been out of, like, grad school and stuff and not being, like, like the summer break. A break. Yeah. You're never going to again in your life either. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, Ken. It's nice not to have feel like you have assignments. Must be nice. In the summer, I literally had no responsibilities in the summer in grad school other than like the work I was choosing to do. That's um, the best feeling, but now, yeah, you know, yeah, I feel that again. So, no, I won't. Should we get right. into the question? Yeah, I think it's time. Okay, so the question's about the, the pyramids in Egypt and how they all came about. So, the reason it's kind of a hey, Rod, dying to you, a big question. <laughs> It's because the pyramids are aligned to true north and true south. And then also the stones that are used to build the pyramids are from a quarry that's like miles and miles away. So the question is how if they get the stones there and then how if they perfectly stack, I want to say it's almost a million stones, maybe more, stack them up perfectly to where they come to a fine point at the top. If allegedly during those times they didn't have the technology like trains and stuff to pull them up. For one, they'd have to pull them up and incline. It's kind of the big thing. And two, they'd have to perfectly stack them to get them all the way up. If it's off even just a little bit, then the whole pyramid be- would be off. But it's not. It's perfectly aligned. Personally, I just think it's human will. Just, I don't know. When it comes to the pyramids, I have a hard time believing, like, conspiracy theories. Like, it's the aliens or, <laughs> or some other crazy thing. I don't know. I just, like, I have a hard time believing that. So I really just think, like, they got in the long line. And just back then that humans were just, like, more attuned to, like, detail. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I kind of feel like laziness just really didn't exist because it couldn't. Um, and they just all got in the line and handed it to each other. Handed 2,000-pound stone? Yeah, I was like, those bricks weigh a ton. Maybe maybe they had like tools. Like maybe they had like sticks and tools. Like they crafted tools. Some to sort help. of like technology-ish device things. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the question. There's 5.5 million tons of limestone. 5.5 million? Tons of limestone. Mm-hmm. For the Pyramid of Giza specifically. I, mean, I I I really don't have an answer. That's why I asked the question. I don't I don't know how they managed to stack them if they were supposed to be not dumb, but not have the, the means or the knowledge. The means to get it yeah, to mm-hmm. actually get it done. Maybe they didn't have means. The government, man. The government knows how they got it done. And they're just not going to tell us. <laughs> oh. It's just how it okay. is. How does the government know? The government, government knows everything. Government knows everything, man. <laughs> government <laughs> knows probably how many times you go to the bathroom, Ken's. Like, because I'm like on my phone. Okay, wait. 
back to the question. Taylor, what is, what's your opinion here? How did the stones get on the pyramid? I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you that they have to be like handmade. And I think back then people did pay a lot more attention to detail. But it also baffles me the thought that these stones were so massive. And like working in engineering and construction, like, yeah, there's mess ups. How did they get it perfect? Because construction projects are handmade as well. Yes, they use technology stuff too, but there's not perfect. How did they get it so well done with no technology? Did they have technology and then it got destroyed? That's what I, I would know. So, so I know that you guys know that Library of Alexandria was right. That had like a bunch of history and stuff like that. In it. So I wonder if the information was in there and then the library got destroyed. I also, if I'm going to go with the conspiracy theory, I like the idea that the Mayans, I don't know how the Mayans, the history of the Mayans, this might sound ignorant. I don't know how they got to Egypt because from what I remember in school, we started with the Mayans in South America or Central America. So I don't know if they originated somewhere else or how they got over there. But I do like the idea that maybe they went over there, stole all of them, and then used them to build their temples. I don't know how that lines up historically on the timeline either, but kind of like the beef between the Mayans and the Egyptians. Who knows, man? That's my part of it being conspiracy. We can just, we can make it up. No one can fact check us because they don't know either. Unless the government like... wants to come out and say something right now. No? Okay. <laughs> They're going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh, yeah, we got to just tell everybody. They're actually our biggest fans. These people are smart, man. <laughs> no, they probably listen and go, these yeah, people are, are idiots. According to my calculations, that's just impossible. <laughs> Scientifically impossible. Yeah, like the, Mayans, the Mayans came a lot, lot, like far, far after the Egyptians. Like, I feel like it was a huge gap in history from those two parties. Right? No? Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a history major. You do. Like I said, who really knows? Okay, but do does anyone believe what? the alien thing? I don't know. I do I believe know. aliens, though. I do and believe me. For our listeners, the alien thing is that there's this theory that the aliens came and snatched up them the Egyptians' tools, and that's why we don't know how it was built. Well, I don't know either. No. We may never know. Well, that was a fun question. Um, Very I, thought, I definitely want to go to Egypt one day and see the pyramids in person. And then maybe you could figure it out then. Yeah, maybe I'll just let you know, like, hey, if you just go to Egypt, they'll just tell you if you sign up for the guided tour, and this is what they said. <laughs> um, but um, a little bit of a longer episode, a longer true crime story that I, I picked. Um, so let's just recap this episode. We watched NCIS New Orleans Season 1, Episode 5. It happened last night. Thoughts on NCIS New Orleans? I like it. I, That's I really a good show. It has um, what's his name? Lucas Black from uh, the best Fast and best Fast and Furious movie of all time, Tokyo Drift. The, the worst I, one, but I really agree. Hey, I once I saw him in it, I said, all right, I I could get behind this show. Who's he? Which one is he? 
in Tokyo Drift? Have you never seen Tokyo no. Drift? And the, the only, the only... Point and the, which he's one Chris. He's Chris. The guy so from Alabama. I... The country guy. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen Tokyo Drift. I haven't seen any of them. Oh my goodness. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That, that's a, this is conversation different. No, 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 wait. I saw the one where Paul Walker died, and I, I did tear up at the end. You haven't seen them all, but you teared up for Paul, man. And what's that? Nah, nah. You're a fake Paul fan. I mean, I I wouldn't say I'm a Paul fan, but when a montage of a dead person comes on, it's kind of sad. That is very sad. That I think Kenzie just cried. She's soft. I'm getting softer. I really am. Okay. <laughs> so, talk about it. Opening is the couple on their honeymoon in the New Orleans bayou finding a body in the, on a river tour. First off, who would take their honeymoon in the bayou? I, you know, people that do that in general, I just don't get it. I'm, I'm, that's, not, that's not for me. I'm not going in there with the gators and snakes at any point in time. I just don't. I, mean, I just I... don't see what's cool about it. Yeah. Yeah. You re- you really want to see one that bad? Go to the zoo. <laughs> You'll never catch me in New Orleans. Never catch me in New Orleans. I don't like the voodoo. On those stank ass boats. We almost went for my graduation if COVID didn't hit. I'm glad it was a sign. I love the opening song, but I thought a show had already used it before. At this point in time, I don't remember what the song was, but apparently I really enjoyed it. I feel like whatever Logan Ross said isn't that big of a deal. Talking about the the guy, what's his name, from, uh, you know, what we were just talking about. Joe Drip. Yeah, was giving that girl a hard time about whatever this other guy said about her. And in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, but it really isn't anything. Like, it couldn't have been that big of a deal. Um, Loretta is talking straight facts. I need to start adding more detail about it, but I think it's when Loretta was talking to the main guy. And she was like, you need to find some, or don't find anyone. Love is dumb. Something like that. Oh, she broke with her boyfriend? Yeah, the advice was really great. I was like, you know what, Loretta, you're right. Um, the dead Marine is Chet, the Chief Warrant Officer William Reed, who worked counterintelligence, and previous job was Guantanamo. He has a contusion on his head. He dropped out of law school after 9-11 and served two tours in Afghanistan. He was human source intelligence and an interrogator at Guantanamo. So he was an interrogator at Guantanamo. Kind of sounds like a cool job. Yeah, it does. Okay, so then the OQR thing is because he's like, can I have an OQR? And I was like, what's an OQR? Because I don't know anything military. It's an officer qualification. So I think he just wanted to see his history. Military history. Every cop show has that one quirky lab guy that makes painfully awkward jokes. 
He died by drowning, but the water was not the same water he was found in. Black fibers were found in and around his nose and mouth. He died by waterboarding. Coincidence? Ironic? Who knows? So since no one took credit, it's a little weird. No chatter about the death. So they're like, was it? What was what's going on? If they're not like terrorists, like taking being like we kill this guy. Um the door was jimmied open, signs of a struggle, wife not home. This neighbor seems nosy and I love it. She is nosy. She is nosy. She also kind of fine too, but she she she, she looked kind of cute. She got a little shit, but <laughs> it would be the one that like I would in the neighborhood I would want to be friends with because she would tell me all of the gossip going on, so I wouldn't like have to figure it out myself or be out of the loop. But also I'd be terrified because I feel like she'd be gossiping about me about you. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. You uh, suspicious to me from the beginning. Oh yeah, did you? Because she said she knew nothing, but then she started gabbing off about other people. I was like, oh, you know something, woman. She was too fine to just be involved in that one scene. Mm-hmm. The fountain looks like William's death site. Blood on the fountain and piece of black glove found. Marilyn Reed is the sister of New Orleans aristocracy Oliver Huntington. The brother said she was on a yoga retreat in New Mexico and that she gave up everything for William. Surveillance showed the brother was at the house. So now it's like, was it the brother? I don't know. I wish you like, he I don't like the way that man dresses, man. Like, he dressed the like a square. <laughs> it's a he, uh, it's I didn't even notice. There was one scene he was wearing a like orange shirt with like blue pants. I was like, what are you wearing? Blue jeans? I thought it was like tight pants. I guess I just wasn't paying attention to the clothing. And I probably listening, paying attention to the important things. And me and Aaron and Malik are looking at what people are wearing. <laughs> hey, what's it wearing? Give it to them away. He looks suspicious. Yeah. But they already said he came from money. He just dressed like he did. Mm-mm. I don't believe it. He's also an law and order. That's true. the suspicious of him. He's the he's like the criminal on one of the law and order episodes. But that's not yeah, that, several. They jump around. Okay, so Marilyn was kidnapped, and they are asking for a ransom of three million dollars in twenty four hours. The attorney said that Oliver has made up wild stories before to get early access to the trust. So the the lawyer's throwing him under the bus and being like, hey, this man just wants money. So it's probably it's probably him just faking his sister's kidnapping and brother-in-law's death, which like really went above and beyond if he trying to get early access. Um but also, like, when kidnappers ask for this much money, like, they're like, we want $3 because we know you have that much. Yeah, they have that much, but a lot of times it's not like they just have $3 million in cash. It's not readily available. Yeah, and there's a lot of it takes a while like, to get. Yeah, there's, like, hoops that you have to jump through. Like, the bank's not you're just going to be like, 
okay, here's $3 million. I don't even think you take out that much money. And usually a lot of that is in assets too. So it's not even like we have $3 million in our in cash. Yeah. In our bank account. It's like, yeah, we're worth millions in assets and companies, like things like that. I'm just saying like, if you really wanted the money, you would ask for a smaller amount, but a large enough, like you don't really need $3 million. So you can ask for a large enough where they're like, okay, that won't hurt me too much. Let me go get the cash and give it. And it just is over. But you still have I agree. Like, 500 grand. Like you still have plenty. Anyway, Something not- they could like go to their house and rob them. For- I feel like you have better luck just robbing random rich people at their houses and whatever cash they got on hand or whatever they can send to you then that works better than trying to get them to go to the bank and get $3 million and think they're not going to call the police at any point in time. Yeah. Because if you yeah, get no, for sure. too large of a money, they might start to question how valuable is that other person's life? <laughs> to, like, $3 million no. might bankrupt me. Is it worth, like... But Hell no. Like, do I really love my sister? Yeah. But if you're like, hey, give me 300 grand, then they're like, oh, yeah, like, okay, that's not a big deal. Like, done. It doesn't make them question. They're just like, done. And then you have 300 grand. Like, that's still a lot of money. Um, Lots of money. Maryland has a trainer rant that is stalkerish, quote unquote, and comes, quote, after hours, quote, scandalous. And his name's Rance. Horrible name. I really thought his name was Rance. I really thought his name was Ranch. That's what I kept hearing. I was like, who the hell names your kid Ranch? I mean, Taylor knows someone named Branch. (laughs) (laughs) I do, yes. Um Ran the Bruce is actually a high breakout. Rance is going bankrupt and calls Maryland three times a day. This trainer is gross and the cupcake thing feels like a porn thing. Like a what thing? Porn. <laughs> oh, that was, that was your thought? When you... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Give that me... was my thought. Take us, take us to your thoughts through that one scene. Go ahead. <laughs> It feels like they're turning him on with a cupcake. Is what, like the way he acting. I know, but it felt weird. Like, cause he's a cupcake. It, I don't know. It felt like a oh, thing to me. Hell nah. In Then Ken's got she. She got problems. You guys should just know that. She can't help it. That's where her mind goes when someone gets turned on by a cupcake. I don't know if it's because I've seen, like, interrogations and in other shows and, like, her in real life where they, like, show them pictures or, like, there was one where they're doing the serial killer and they bring him shoes because it, like, turns him on so he starts talking. So I don't know if it was, like, that association of, like, the same tactic, but, like, the cupcake was probably where my mom was. No, he, he just had an eating disorder, Ken. Yep. She wasn't trying to turn him off. I just felt like he wanted to make love to the cupcake, okay? Like, just eat it. Oh, my. Quick side note, 
she was eating a cupcake with some coffee. That's nasty. Yeah. I don't remember. It's like she was eating it so sexually, too. Like, no, she wasn't. Nothing sexual. Very sexual to me. It felt weird. Like, it was unnecessary. But okay. Linguistic analysis is so cool. The gun, as soon as someone trespasses, feels way southern. Very southern. Um, when that guy was, like, they they went to go on that property. Oh, and that the guy that was immediately with a gun. It was like, get off my property. It felt very yeah, southern. Very southern. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, he boot, like, moonshine, question mark. Never had it. I've always wanted to try it. So it's pretty good. Oliver owns the house that was where William's body was dropped. I'm thinking the lawyer. I was already on this bitch. I was like him from the get-go. He threw that other guy under the bus way too fast. <laughs> the ransom was moved, and now they have an hour. Again, you ask for $3 million. No one's getting $3 million in an hour, no matter how rich you think they are. The lawyer killed himself, but sent Oliver's money before he died. The money is bouncing all over the globe. They found they found Marilyn at a greenhouse property that Bernard bought in Oliver's name. And then I wrote, the neighbor, this bitch. I clearly had no idea it was her. I would have ran away with her. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I was a detective and I already saw the money get transferred, oh, well... Sorry. They can get the money back. They're not just going to let her have that and be like, well, get well, that's, not, that's not that's not in my job description as a detective. That's that in the end of the case for me. Job description as a detective. That yeah. may have been the end of the case for me. Once it got sent, I'm oh, sorry. I'm going to make $3 million some other way. Yeah. I would look around. Well, everybody's dead, I guess. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's her money. Yeah. It made it once. They can make it again that work like i just really don't so bernard had a gambling debt at the neighbor's casino and he loved her this is just messy this whole bernard just seemed like a messy lawyer this bitch had the audacity to say she is a victim like maybe killed someone and kidnapped another and stole three million dollars how are you the victim here and then the caption yeah. thing at the end was cool. The caption thing at the end was cool. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I don't that's, think so. I think I turned it off. I wish I, I wish I knew what I was talking about. Just <laughs> tell us. <laughs> tell why would you read your notes if you don't remember what that means? This <laughs> is. <laughs> I uh, haven't seen because I'm I get I try to stay so far ahead in my writing so that I don't I'm not scrambling to get an episode written before we record and get behind and my life stressed out. So it's been like months in between episodes that I've seen them, but I don't have the time to go back and rewatch them with my notes. Well, and also because I'm slightly a narcissist, I'm like my notes are really good. I'm sure. And then I read them, and I'm, and I'm like, my notes, and then my memory is really good. I really just think I have, like, this great memory. I'm like, I'll just, I have the notes. I'll be great. We'll just go for it. I'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, after the past four episodes, I'll say your memory's not that great. 
It's pretty good, but it's not as great. No, it's not. I should start writing better notes. <laughs> but y'all have seen the episode sooner than I have, so like, why don't y'all know what the caption thing at the end is? Caption thing? What like, caption thing? I'm trying to I feel like I turned it off. Because as you watch as... the credits? I didn't yes. watch. No, I don't, I don't watch credits. I don't know. I don't know what I watched. But it was cool. Okay. So the next time we do an NCIS New Orleans episode, let's all watch the end and see if it happens again. Oh, you're going to make me watch the credits. <laughs> Apparently it's cool, so it's worth it. Let me, let me, let me do the episode real quick. I'll get back to you. Okay. Well, why Aaron is doing that. Buckle in, strap in, we're going on a ride, it's going to be a little bit of a longer ride, but we are going to talk about the worst grandfather in American history and the kidnapping of John Paul Getty III. Let's do this. Have y'all ever heard of the Getty family? No. Getty? What, okay. by Getty? Like G-E-T-T-Y. Like, uh, Getty Images. Have you heard of Getty Images? No. Yes. Yes. I don't think I've ever heard of the family, though. Okay, the Getty Images, that's a part of the family, but, like, years round. Like, that's not why they're famous and money. That's just, like, a great-great-grandson that did that. Why are they famous and mighty? Okay, I'm gonna tell you, but it's insane because I, when I heard, when I found this story, this guy, this family... It was like the Bill Gates of like the eighties. And then the great great or the great grand or the grandson got kidnapped. And I was like, Well, how have I not heard of this? Like this seems like like imagine Bill Gates grandson or or Elon Musk, like any of the their grandchild being kidnapped. Like that would be groundbreaking. Like it'd be all over the place. The news, social media, everyone would be talking about it. And now, lo and behold, what, 30 years later, and we, our generation doesn't even know about this? Crazy. Is that not crazy? Crazy. Okay. So let's, let's talk about why why these people are important. So, John Paul Getty. This is going to be confusing, because there's John, John Paul Getty Sr., John Paul Getty Jr., and John Paul Getty III. So, I'm going to try to explain this. You should... JG one, JG two, and JG three. Senior, junior, and three. Yeah, I yeah. I'll, I'll simplify as we go, but just know for now we're talking about senior. We're talking about the grandfather. Okay, so John Paul Getty was born on December fifteenth, eighteen ninety two, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to George and Sarah Getty. George Getty was a successful attorney, but in nineteen o three, he moved his family to Oklahoma. Why would you move to Oklahoma in 1903? Do you know? Beats me. Is this a history quiz? Oil. You would move to Oklahoma for the oil. Oh. That's when it was becoming. So he founded the Minhoma Oil Company. A few years later, the family moved to Los Angeles, California, where John Paul Getty graduated from L.A. Polytechnic High School in 1909. He attended University of Southern California, but transferred to UC Berkeley and finally graduated from Oxford University 
1914 with a degree in political science and economics. And what we'll come to learn about John Paul Getty Sr. is that he absolutely adores the British. Once he graduated, he moved back to Oklahoma to work as a wildcatter. Do y'all remember what a... I remember learning what a wildcatter was in elementary school. Do y'all remember? We didn't learn that. <laughs> Taylor, you had to... You probably learned. You, you, you other West Texas. I'm sure I learned, but I don't know. Okay, a wildcatter was a person that bought and sold oil leases. Um, so they would find the area where you drilled. So they would buy them at a cheap rate and then sell them at a higher rate, like lease them out. Yeah. Okay. By 1916, he had his first million. And with his father started the Getty Oil Company. He got his first million from a successful successful well in Oklahoma. So he's already rolling in it in 1960, this young entrepreneur. Getty and his father continued to amass wealth. And when his father died, when George died in 1930, John Paul had gained $150,000 in inheritance and became president of his father's company. Okay, so we're talking 150000 in 1930. I put it in the little calculator today, and you want to guess how much money that is in today's money? $2.2 million. $2. No, no. Taylor. <laughs> this is right. I have to guess. I was going to say around $2 million. Oh, Taylor, you're so good. $2.2 million. Two... Wait, holy <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know how to read big numbers. Okay, two million six hundred forty-seven thousand six hundred and eighty-four dollars and twenty-one cents. I'm out. I'm out. This memory is awful, man. I I literally said two point two million. He goes no, and then Taylor goes um two million. Taylor, you're so close. Wow. No wait, I thought you said twenty million. No. So, oh, well, yeah, if you said 2.2 million, you did, I thought you said 20 million. So you were both right. Good job, guys. He shut me down so quick and then said, Taylor, yeah, you're close. <laughs> me off. You only support women on this podcast. Um, 2.6 million is his inheritance from his father, and then he became the president of his father's company. At this point, Getty started, started building a self-sustaining business. So his whole idea... We're going to come to learn that he's like the biggest miser, frugal, rich person you'll ever meet. So even though he had all this money, he was not interested in then having to go out and like contract out for these other parts of the oil industry. Like he didn't want to drill it, but then have to contract out for someone else to ship it and all that stuff. He wanted it. So all go through him so that he didn't waste any money. So he built the self-sustaining business. So he drilled the oil. Oh, I just spilled beer all over my computer. For those listening, if there is a weird cut at this point, it's because I spilled beer on my laptop as we were recording. Then my like <laughs> video and stuff stopped working. So then I had to exit the meeting and then come back in and clean beer off my laptop. So if it's awkward at this point, it's because I'm a mess always. Because she's awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about Getty 
building this like self-sustaining business. So he drilled the oil, he refined the oil, shipped the oil, and sold the oil. And all of these things would be like separate companies normally. But he said, nope, no one is getting my money. I'm making it all my own. So that's how he kind of became like really, really wealthy. I mean, more wealthy than he was is because he was self-sustaining. He began to buy out other companies and took a gamble by drilling for oil between Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, which paid off. So he was like one of the first people that like got in on the oil in Saudi Arabia, which was like a big deal because now we know it today as like a big oil the place where we get a lot of our oil. In 1957, he was named Fortune Magazine's richest man in the world. And by mid-1970s, he had a fortune of 2 to $4 billion. That's in 1970s money. Let's play how much money is that today. Monique, contestant number one. I thought you were going to tell me I'm wrong again and then tell me I'm right later. No. Okay. Uh, probably like eight billion. Okay. A Rod. Um, wait, how much was it back then? Two to four billion in the mid seventies. I'm gonna say, Malik, how much did you say? Said about eight billion. Hey, I was gonna say eight point five billion. Okay, price is right. <laughs> okay, Taylor. Um, I'm gonna do seven point five right around the week again, just cause. <laughs> okay, well y'all are all wrong. Is that eleven to twenty two billion? Well, technically, I was the closest, so I was technically A Rod won the twelve. <laughs> so he was fucking loaded, and you can never spend that amount of money in a lifetime. In between all of this business, Getty married and divorced five times first in 1923 which produced his child george getty the second named after his father again in 1926 again in 1928 the 1928 one his third produced john or gene reynold and the fourth was in 1932 and that one had john paul getty jr and gordon and then the last one was in 1939, and that produced Timothy, his youngest. So he had five boys with four different women, but was married five times. Um, in the late 1950s, he moved from the U.S. to the U.K. in what is known as the, he named the luxurious Sutton Place. So you know you're rich when your house has a name, Sutton Place. John Paul Getty Sr. was one of the world's has one of the world's worst reputations as a miser, like I said before. An infamous example of this is the fact that he had a payphone in this extravagant home for guests to use because he didn't want them to rack up his phone bill. And this mindset is further reflected in his personal relationships. And of course, through the multiple tragedies the Getty family would face through the years. So, like, there's a lot of shit that happened in this fam- this very rich family. In 1952, uh, yeah, so wait, let me say, there's a lot of shit that happened in this family. And really, John Pongetti Sr.'s only concern was, like, the money surrounding these tragedies. 
1952, at the age of six, his youngest son, Timothy Getty, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Timothy was sick and eventually went blind for six years before succumbing to the disease in 1958 at the age of 12. In that six-year span of him being sick, Timmy would repeatedly ask for his father to come see him, to which John Paul would agree to and then back out of without telling the family. So, like, they would be waiting. There was, like, one instance where, like, the family went to go meet him at, like, he was coming home on like a boat or something so they went to the port to meet him and he wasn't there and the captain was like oh yeah he didn't get on like he just didn't didn't tell anyone that's shitty oh it gets worse the icing on the cake is that john paul would complain about timmy's medical expenses and letters to timmy's mother And basically urged her to stop seeing doctors. He's like, it's not really making a difference anyway. He's going to die, so why are you still seeing them? They're just racking up medical bills. That's so sad. Low-key, if that was me, I would probably say the same thing. If I was the patient. If I was the patient. If I was the patient, not the parent. If I was the patient. Okay, that makes sense. That's that person's choice, but as a father... How old was Timmy at the time? He's like, Do you know, eight. It's okay if you don't. He died at the age of twelve, so he was six for six years before that. So he was age of six to twelve when all of this was happening. He was young. Well, also you got to know like I mean, how much like toll... the rights over you. Yeah, you got to think about how how like how much of a toll it was taking on the kid. Okay, but also, I get it, but he's. John Paul is not there to make the decisions. If the mom is there seeing what's happening, what if this is like end of life care? What if he was in pain and this medical was like just helping him not to be in pain? But the dad's like, you know what? You're going to die. So what does it matter? I mean, I don't know. What's a little bit of pain? Yeah. My problem is like, okay, that's their prerogative. But he's not there. He's just getting the medical bills and going like, oh, I don't want to pay this. The mom is there. If he was there and decided this, I would understand. So the cherry on top of all this was that John Paul didn't even attend the funeral of his youngest son, sending the mother an apology letter. An apology letter. Well, how how thoughtful. Like a breakup text. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, just like they didn't even show up to his youngest son's. Just kid. That son idolized him, too. Like, he, like, his whole life, like, thought his dad loved He never thought badly of his dad. He was always like, he's going to come. Like, I love him. Like, so he really let him down. It was sad. So we're going to switch gears here. So that's just kind of like an insight of, like, who the patriarchy we're, like, dealing with with this family. That's That's the guy on top of this whole thing. Sounds like a good family. Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to switch gears here and we're going to talk about John Paul Getty III. So we're going to talk about his grandson who this whole story kind of centers around. So I'm going to call him Paul because he went by Paul. Paul was born on November 4th, 1956, also in Minneapolis to parents John Paul Jr., and Gail Harris, and Gail was a water polo champion. 
When Paul was pretty young, the family moved to Rome so that John Paul Jr. could head the Italian division of Getty Oil business. And he was, like, thrilled because he really wasn't, like, involved in the family business. Or maybe he was, like, involved at lower levels, but he really wanted to prove to his dad that he could make, be a bigger player in this family business and, like, kind of prove himself. In 1964, John Paul Jr. and Gail divorced. Then John Paul Jr. married the actress Talitha Pohl in 1966, where they frequently traveled to Britain and Morocco. So, left the wife, married an actress. Um, And Paul stayed, when his dad got divorced, or when they got divorced, Paul stayed with his mom in Italy later attending the St. George British International School in Rome. So this actress, Tal- Talitha Pohl, died of an illegal, of, of an alleged heroin overdose in Rome in July of 1971. John Paul Getty Jr. then moved back to the UK to escape drug charges he was facing in Italy. So part of the divorce came because John Paul Getty Jr. ended up having a drug addiction problem. And his father was, like, not happy about this. This looked bad on the family. He wasn't, I mean, he was not concerned that someone's life was taken in the drug overdose, the actresses. He was more concerned how it reflected on the family that they would deal with such people and be involved in such things. So he was more more concerned about how the family would be perceived by the public. Yeah, their image. That's what he cared about more. Yes, precisely. The following year, Paul was kicked out of the of his school for painting the hallway with obscene words about the headmaster, supposedly inspired by the Manson family. Interesting. At, <laughs> at this time, at the age of fifteen, Paul moved out of out on his own, living a bohemian slash progressive lifestyle. For this time period, um, a lot of people would describe it as like a hippie lifestyle. Um, he would make money by selling paintings and jewelry he made and modeling for magazines, even posing nude sometimes. Oh. Yeah, so he did not have access to the family money living with his mom. Like once his parents got a divorce, his mom really didn't have, like they didn't stay rich. They... They were kind of like on their own and he and Paul stayed with his mom and then on like he didn't have the money. So he had the name. He didn't have the money. He blew what little money he made at nightclubs and on drugs. He also frequented left wing protests. He even he was even arrested once for throwing a Molotov cocktail during one of the protests. I was going to ask, isn't that like the little fire water bottle thing? Yeah. Yeah, the, like, little homemade bomb-esque. Oh. Tono? Supposedly. Supposedly. Allegedly. That's why he was arrested. But, like, you know, in those protests, they they arrest, like, pretty much everyone if they don't agree with them. And then they're like, and he threw a Molotov. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean he did. Yeah. Um. So it's not surprising that John Paul Getty Sr. saw him as an embarrassment. To the family. Um, he wasn't straight business like he had wished of his grandson. Okay. 
So that's kind of our players here. We have the grandfather, who's very traditional, loves his money, doesn't really seem like he has feelings, and is super rich. And then we have the grandson, which is basically the opposite of that. So let's finally get into this kidnapping. Now that we have all of the background information, on July 10th, 1973, at the age of 16, Paul was approached by a car around 3 a.m. near the Piazza Farnazzi after leaving a nightclub. The car asked if he was John Paul Getty III, and upon confirmation, pulled him into the car and confronted him. Oh, my bad. Didn't confront him. Pulled him into the car and chloroformed him. The car was filled with members of... Oh, man, I meant to look up this name. I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, but it's like a small Italian mafia. Um, and or, an organized crime group. Let's see if I can look up the name on, on the they internet. Said, they said, where's the uh, Gabagoo? The Gabagoo. <laughs> what city do they live in at the time? Rome is where he got kidnapped from. You better tell us where the Gabagool is or Uncle Tony here. They're going to have to deal with you by the bean, by the boom. Indrangheta. 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 It's an organized crime. <laughs> they speak so fast on that thing. <laughs> Slow it down. <laughs> and they... Then they drove Paul to a cave in Calabria, which is in the remote countryside of Italy. Two days after the kidnapping, the mafia called Gail to notify her that they had her son. They also sent a note with cut-out magazine letters, you know, the classic ransom note, with their actual demands, which was, how much do you think they asked for one billion dollars. Yeah. I'd say about three. Three mil. Three, three mil? Taylor? How much what? How much would you ask for? Oh, I don't know. I don't think about that. Uh, You said one million? I would say like... I would say more than that. Three billion? Three billion? Yeah. Billion? No, 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 no. I don't know. Just, just... Go on. Okay, you put me on the spot again. I'll say keep my kid for three billion. You could have him. No, not three billion. I don't. Just go on. It's okay. It was it was seventeen million. They asked for seventeen million. With Gail being divorced from John Paul Jr., she didn't have access to the family fortune. She turned to John Paul Jr. and Senior for help, and also involved the police. So, however, initially the police, press, and even members of the Getty family believed this to be a hoax by Paul himself to get early access to the money. So he didn't have access to the money, but there was, like, a trust set up for him. There was trust for every member of the family or direct descendant of the money. So everyone was kind of like, Gail was telling everyone, hey, my son's kidnapped. And everyone was kind of like, is he? Which had to be the most frustrating thing as a mother to like get that call to 100% believe it and everyone else be like everyone you could ever turn to for help be like no he's faking it <laughs> his girlfriend Martine even admitted that Paul had suggested that he 
faked his kidnapping before, but had decided against that when he started modeling. So he had faked it before, or he had talked about faking it before? Yeah, he had said it before when, like, they were in um, a bind for money or, like, really out of money. He had said, and it could be, like, one of those joking things where he's like, you know, if we fake my kidnapping, we could be rich. Yeah. I mean, it could not have been, like, coincidence that. How do you how do you yeah, set up your own kidnapping? How do, how do you set that thing up? Okay, we'll kind of talk. We'll get back in. We'll talk about theories at the end. Okay. okay, okay. About it, because there's like a whole one of those biopic mini biopic series about this, and they kind of poise that. Um. So we'll talk about it. The mafia then sent Gail another letter written by Paul that read, "Dear Mummy." Since Monday, I have fallen into the hands of kidnappers. Don't let me be killed. Another source read it or stated it said, Pay up, I beg you, pay up as soon as possible. If you wish me well, if you delay it, it's very dangerous for me. So either way, whatever way is correct, he's begging his mom to pay the money so he doesn't die. Despite Gail's pleading, John Paul Sr. doubled down and refused to pay the ransom, saying to the press, he said these exact words to the press. It's like the f- most famous quote from this case. He said, quote, I have 14 other grandchildren, and if I pay one penny now, then I'll have 14 kidnapped grandchildren. And this was not coming from a place of, I'm concerned for the safety of my other grandchildren if I came in. This was coming from a place of, well, if my other 14 grandchildren are kidnapped, then I ha- would also have to pay theirs. So I'm just not going to pay any. It is a good point. Yeah, smart. You don't want to hear that from your grandpa, but he does make a fair point. If I kidnap one and they give up the money easily, I'm going to figure out a way to get two. True, true. Okay, but he wasn't also, he wasn't even helping find him. He was just kind of like, I'm not paying and I'm not helping. Peace out. Oh, yeah. He's definitely just mad. But he did make a good point. I got 14 of them. I can't give up money every time one of them goes missing. I mean, I feel like you could and still have plenty of money to go around. It's what I think. For months, the kidnappers contacted Gail about the ransom, and she in turn tried to contact John Paul Getty Sr., who continually ignored her and would only answer her through the press. They they kept them for months. Oh yeah, this went on for months. Man, after that point, after the second month, I'm pow! Like obviously, I'm not getting the money. Yeah, what's the point of? If someone kidnapped me, they'd only have me for a week before they'd have to do something. I'd be annoying to tell the whole time, yeah. unless I was just drugged up. It's either going to shoot me by the end of the week, or they're going to get their money, or they're going to give me back. It wouldn't be able to go on for months. I'd be too annoying. Okay, we'll come back to this conversation later because it kind of goes with some of the theories. But also, if you know the family has money, it'd be one thing if, like, they didn't, they just couldn't produce the money. But if you know absolutely they have the money, and I think it wasn't, well, okay, let me say this part. At one point, John Paul Sr. did send a former CIA agent to help, although he didn't contribute much. So I think there was 
like communication with John Paul Sr. through the CIA agent. Like there was like negotiations going on. So it wasn't always like a like a no. It was like the John Paul Sr. was definitely like leading them on. Of like maybe you'll get the money, but like I really don't want to pay that much. Um and CIA. So I think that also might be why they kept John Paul like why they kept Paul alive because it wasn't like a hard no. And if you kill him, one, you're not getting the money anyways. And two, now they're only going to come like hard for you. This kid's rich. Meanwhile, John Paul Jr. was also not any help, the dad, as he was going through addiction and on the outs with his father. He refused to mend the relationship with his father for Paul's sake. So Gail's going to her ex-husband and being like, you need to talk to your dad. And Junior is over here going like, "Mm, no, I don't really like him. Sorry. So he's not really doing anything either. During this time, Paul's treatment was not so much cruel as it was uncomfortable. He was allowed to bathe in the river, was served cold spaghetti, and was allowed a radio. So he was served spaghetti. <laughs> That's Italy. <laughs> oh, that's true. I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> he got to bathe in the river. Yeah. So he wasn't like. I mean, obviously he was kidnapped, but he wasn't being abused. He was not physically being physically mistreated or abused. He was. They kind of just had him and let him be, for the most part. But the head kidnapper named Cinquinta was starting to grow impatient, yelling at Gail late July. So he was kidnapped. Okay, so this is only a few weeks. He was kidnapped. So he was kidnapped July 10th. So this is a few weeks after he was kidnapped. The kidnapper said, who is the so-called grandfather? How can he leave his own flesh and blood in the plight that your poor son is in? So even the kidnapper's like, bro, what do you mean the grandfather won't pay for his own? Even he's like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> I would have been like, obviously, bro, he don't care about me. You should took him if you really want the money. Yeah. That's, that's. <laughs> just, just wasting your time with me. Try to tell you. Attempts were made to negotiate. The CIA agent thought he was meeting with the kidnappers. But it was a hoax. He's killing it right now. He met with the wrong people. <laughs> Another time, Gail was making arrangements to meet in person with Paul, but the instructions became outrageous and risky, and therefore the meeting couldn't happen. So there were attempts, which could be why he was still alive. They were trying. With no progress being made, individuals were individuals more connected to the larger Italian mafia took over the former and they were more brutal. So this was kind of what happened. So there was this small group that kind of were a little bit nicer mafia, kidnapped him uh, and trying to trying to do the negotiations and, and trying to get this money. But this was kind of out of their bandwidth. They didn't really do anything this big. So the bigger Italian mafia came in and were like, back away, we'll get this money. And this is when John, this is when Paul kind of started uh, being brutalized. 
in October. So now we're in October. The new mafia members got Paul incredibly drunk and started cutting his hair. Then they rubbed alcohol behind his right ear and cut the ear off with a razor. The ear off? Not the ear. Oh. <laughs> they mailed the ear and a lock of Paul's hair to a newspaper in Rome. The, like, out in public, I assume. They mailed it. Yeah. Mailed it. Yeah, they mailed it. Not nailed. 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 I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're going to be scared when they see this shit. Nailed to the post. <laughs> oh, my God. That would definitely make a statement. No, they, they, they mailed it to the, okay. Okay. To the newspaper. Uh, of course. This was also at the time that the Italian Postal Service was on strike. So the delivery of the year year took three weeks. These, oh, these people are not thinking it through, man. These people are not thinking it through. Dummies, that's what they are. Can you imagine how pissed they were that they got off this guy's ear? If I was anybody that was working, I'd be like, you know what, man? Fuck this. I don't want the money that bad. I'm just going to work. But also, poor Paul, his ear was cut off. I don't know his ear cut off for nothing. It'd be even funnier if the mail got sent back. They sent back the year in the mail. The wrong address. <laughs> it just the return. The return name said Cave and Calibria. So this infuriated the kidnappers. You know, obviously, more causing them to lash out at Paul. So this is the sad part of this, um, because no one's listening. They they took it out on Paul. They took away his radio, the only thing he had for entertainment. They killed a bird that Paul had been caring for as a pet, and I'm sure what he felt was his only companion, and played Russian roulette against his head. I would just be like, so y'all fucked up, and now I gotta get punished for it, because y'all fucked up. That's odd if I was Paul. But radio, nah, you can take it. Bird, it's just a bird. Okay, you're Russian roulette though. It's when they have the gun, right? Yeah, with one and blade. Yeah, and it never went off. I feel like there was probably no bullet in it. They were just screwing with them. I mean, that's a like just an asshole move. Because that's a that's a risky move right there. If they're trying to get seventeen million dollars out of them, yeah, dramatic. I mean, can you imagine how traumatic that would be if Paul? But Errol, back to your comment. You think that you can live without that radio and that bird, but you have been now kidnapped for months. These people probably aren't talking to you. You're probably just trying not to go crazy. Look, kid, or, I already know. Hey, then. After the first couple of weeks, once no money has been received, they ain't getting the money. So if it was me, just go ahead and kill me. That would be me, personally. It's a hard thing to, like... I don't know. That's hard to say when you're in this situation because... True, true, true. You don't want to die. He doesn't want to die. But he probably... Paul Paul knew. Paul knew that how his grandfather was and that this was not going to be an easy feat um, for the kidnappers. And I think he even communicated that to them at one point. It was like, he's not, he's not going to pay up. And the kidnappers really didn't believe him because who would? Who would believe that they're super uber rich grandfather wouldn't pay a ransom for their grandchild 
um, the newspaper finally received the ear, um, the lock of hair, and a note that read, quote, this is Paul's first ear. If within 10 days the family still believes that this is a joke mounted by him, then the other ear will arrive. In other words, he will arrive in pieces. I feel like at that point I would maybe thought it was... They didn't even get the ear. They needed this. And it didn't get there till three weeks later. It's, so that's past the 10 day mark. So we're, was the second year already on the way? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe we should double down. Anyways, I feel like once you receive this letter, I would maybe start listening and be like, okay, maybe he is kidnapped. Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Oh, I cannot even imagine what Gail was feeling, believing. Like, she believed this the whole time, and then her son's ear shows up to the newspaper, and that's how she finds out. And as one would suspect, with Paul living in the wilderness, his his wound where the ear was cut off started to become infected, and he developed pneumonia, so was incredibly sick. The mafia tried to give him penicillin for the infection, but he had an allergic reaction, which, which caused him to decline even more. And this is how we found out he was allergic to penicillin. The only thing his kidnappers could do at this point was give him large amounts of brandy to numb the pain. Once the ear arrived, John Paul Sr. called the family together. He informed them that through negotiations, the ransom was now $3 million. And he would... <laughs> I hate this guy. He would pay $2 million. This was the most he could get as... A could pay as a tax write-off two million yes oh my god as a tax write this man is a mold 11 billion to 22 billion dollars rich yeah and he'll negotiated the 17 million dollar ransom down to three million and still was like well i can only really pay two million to write it off as a tax okay but it gets worse the other million would come from john paul jr that John Paul Sr. would lend, loan him at 4% interest. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so still, still couldn't even pay it. Still couldn't even be like, your grandson's ears cut off. You have to assume that he's not well. I mean, he has a wound, an open wound somewhere. I wouldn't assume that the mafia was taking care of him. And you're not even going to pay the full three million because you can't get a tax write off for your grandson's ransom if you only if you pay more than two million, and then you're going to make your son pay it out of four percent. You're going to be like, I'll give you the other million, but you have to pay me back four percent interest. This is the biggest asshole. Like I said, the worst grandfather in the history of America. Oh yeah, absolutely. Jeez. Regardless, the ransom was successfully exchanged, and Paul was released. On an aban- at an abandoned gas station on December 15th. He went missing in July. He went in July to December. Oh my gosh. And I wish I could say the story got better. And everyone lived happily ever after. But they didn't. Because they were all a part of the Getty family. After the whole ordeal, John Paul Sr. defended his actions... In a memoir saying he was thinking of the safety of his other grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if that was your concern, then why didn't you just pay the three million? Why did you make your son loan, like, pay you back interest on his son's ransom money? 
Yeah, no, that your only interest was not in protecting the other grandchildren. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, you can't even fight that one. Oh my gosh. In the same memoir, he describes himself as a doting family man telling stories of the summer of 1975 when his grandchildren visited him. Paul was not there that summer. That was after he had been kidnapped. I believe three years after he had been kidnapped. Yeah, no, two years after he'd been kidnapped. Uh, John Paul Getty Sr. died on June 6, 1976 of heart failure. After his release, Gell made Paul call John Paul Sr. to thank him for the ransom money. Which I'd be like, Mom, no. Just, no. Yeah. Um, but John Paul Sr. used to talk to him. Seriously? Yeah. He didn't want to take the call. Mm -hmm. One year after his release, at the age of 18, Paul married Martine, his girlfriend, he was seen before he was kidnapped. This effectively caused him to be written out of the will, as there was a clause that specified family members had to wait until the age of 25 to be married. In the will, there was a clause that did that? Yeah. So this dude that was kidnapped. It's a very random clause. <laughs> yeah, I think, what? I think it goes back to the family image thing, like, being married too young, back especially back then, was not I like back then. It would have been okay if they were. Yeah. I agree. That's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like twenty twenty one would have been fine. Eighteen would have been fine. They were ahead of the time. They were ahead of the time. It was for seventies, so it wasn't like people in the seventies were getting married when they were. I mean, they were, but it wasn't like. I feel like when people got married when they were 18, that was, like, back in the 50s. 60s. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. I feel like people were starting to wait longer in the 70s. The couple had a son named Balthazar in 1975, and Paul adopted Martine's daughter, Anna. What, what was the name of the kid? Balthazar and Anna, huh? Balthazar? Well, that sounds like a Pokemon. That's a I demon from a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Paul attended Pepperdine University but dropped out after a semester due to addiction. In 1981, Paul overdosed on a cocktail of Valium, methadone, and alcohol, which caused him to have liver failure and a stroke, which left him a quadriplegic, partially blind and unable to speak. Okay. Strong as drink he had there. And, and a lot of stems from the kidnapping because when they were pouring brandy down his throat yeah he probably got addicted then he got addicted then to alcohol and yeah. it helping him deal with all of it and it just kind of like carried on once he was was free so it all was due to the traumatic kidnapping due to his extensive health needs gail became Paul's primary caregiver, Martine divorced Paul in 1993. Gail sued John Paul Jr. for 28000 a month to help with Paul's medical needs. Which I really feel like is the least the family could do because Paul would never be in this situation if the family would have just paid, paid the money. Yep. 
an old man to really survive all of that and then to live in such a way not long after because that was like he overdosed less than 10 years after he was kidnapped wow this new health conditions didn't stop paul from skiing in 1987 though by being strapped to a metal frame also come to his his health conditions on february 5th 2011 at the age of 54 so he was not that old and this kid probably had an amazing life ahead of him in different circumstances Nine men were arrested in connection with Paul's kidnapping, including the two, including two high-ranking mafia members, but only two were convicted and went to prison. The bosses and other five were released. The money was never recovered. That is the insane story of the kidnapping of John Paul Getty III and America's worst grandfather ever, John Paul Getty Sr., and like I said, there are theories. A lot of people do believe that John Paul at least initially staged his kidnapping and was a part of it. So they believe that part of this, I got confused. I couldn't, I couldn't find it in a lot of sources, so I didn't really put it in the story. But supposedly, John or Paul owed like this lower level mafia six thousand dollars for like drugs in the nightclubs that he had been frequenting and supposedly he had asked for it from like his grandfather or whatever but like he said no so supposedly allegedly paul worked out with the lower level mafia and said hey if y'all kidnap me you'll get like much more than like six thousand dollars for my grandfather like he'll pay out so they did they kidnapped him and that's why he was treated fairly. And that's why nothing, like, they were pretty patient with the family. Um, but when the lower level realized that they weren't going to get paid and it, it, they were starting to become impatient, that's when this other group came in that they negotiated with the larger mafia and Paul had no idea. So at that point, he truly was, like, kidnapped and not a part of it. So that's one thing. When the second His mafia took over. Yeah, when the second mafia took okay. over. That makes sense. And this was this theory was all laid out in the Hulu miniseries Trust, which I watched. But I will say that the family has spoken out a lot against Trust and the director saying that in no way, shape, or form was Paul involved. It's never been proven, that connection. There's never been proof that those conversations happened that he planned it with the mafia um but it's a theory that a lot of people do have that that at least at least originally he was in on it i could see it gotta get money to feed the addiction yeah and like i guess at this point i wouldn't have i wouldn't say that paul was addicted to drugs before the kidnapping I think it was mo- mostly like typical, you know, partying drugs, not necessarily like having to be high and on them all the time, but just like they like to party. And when they like to party, they like to do drugs with it. And that and just put them in debt. When did the grandpa die? 
when did the grandpa die? In 1976, so three years after Paul was released. Uh, Good. I hope they got all their trust fund money. Paul did it. Yeah, he got kicked yeah. out of it. True that. And I think it was one of, I may be wrong, but I think it was not maybe Paul's child, but Paul's grandchild that created Getty Images. Hmm. And there's the Getty Art Museum in L.A. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, uh, like, this family has. Well, and there's, like, so much more drama. So, like, one of them was one of the original, like, John Paul's senior sons is, like, a famous, like, orchestra conductor or music composer. A composer. The famous composer, so he went and did that, um, which John Paul Sr. was not a fan of because he didn't think it was like noble enough or made enough money, it wasn't business. Um, but so John John Paul Sr.'s original successor was supposed to be, um, who was it, George Getty II, I believe, his first son. Mm-hmm killed himself by stabbing himself in the chest when he was high. What the hell? Allegedly. Allegedly. But he he died. And that was like not long after or that was not long before John Paul or Paul was kidnapped. So that kind of all happened back to back. And then supposedly the conductor or one of them had like a secret family for years that like came out i don't know there's still like a lot of drama in the getty family there's like a lot more to get into if you want to look into it it's a messy messy family that's what i'm looking at right now gordon getty has all most of the money now he's in charge of the trust okay so another tidbit that's kind of interesting because i saw it in the trust also there's a 2017 movie with mark Wahlberg called all the money in the world also based off of this story and Donald Sutherland plays John Paul Getty Sr. in the Hulu series Trust. And, I mean, he's incredible in it. I love Donald Sutherland. And then in this role, she's phenomenal. So in the Trust, in the Hulu series, it depicts John Paul Sr. had, like, a harem of women in Sutton Place. Like, he had, like, five different girlfriends living there. And they, like, all knew, like, they all were friends and would hang out with each other. They were all, had this understanding that if they stayed, whenever he died, they would get part of the money. And that's actually kind of true. He did have, like, girlfriends that would, like, live in some place together. What do you think of the comparison between the TV episode and this story? Real story? It's pretty good. Now I gotta, re- now I gotta re- think of the episode. I was going somewhere with that thought, and then it, it it walked off. Two things I think really connect them. One, the ransom was three million, and both at least negotiated down for three million and one. Yeah. And the other one was that in the TV episode, they also thought that they faked it to get access to the money. Yeah, a rich family. Yep, yep. And it was a rich family. Yeah, there's some good connections. Yeah, good connections for sure. 
So on a scale from one to ten, how close did I get? Compared to the so. other episodes? What? Yeah. Compared to the other other episodes, I'm with Aro. I'd say like seven. Taylor? Oh, Nate. There's go. Yeah, I say this is probably the most like I think this is the best connection episode so far. From the ones that I had to make a connection. Because the first one was directly based off of the story. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts before I announce the next episode we will be watching? No. Hit us with us, Kings. For episode five of Kremlin Prime Time, we will be watching Law and Order Criminal Intent. Season 2, episode 11, Baggage. Is that the new one with Stabler? No, that's organized crime. This one was like an old one. Where can they find it on? But the free Peacock. You can watch it for free on Peacock. Mm. They have like the free TV. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I always forget, for everyone listening, wherever you're listening at, like, rate, review, subscribe, follow, Follow us on social media. We're on all of Share. them. Share. Share. Email. You know, do all the things to hype us up. That's how we get seen by, you know, strangers that don't know us. All the things you can to promote us. Tell your friends about us. We would really appreciate it. And with that, this is Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kinsey. And we are signing out. Yes, sir. Yeah.